Hello and welcome back to our Sabbath School from Home podcast. We're going to do something a little bit different this week because with long weekends and Pathfinder camps and international travel for ADRA projects in the Ukraine, we're finding it a bit difficult to pull ourselves together for our regular recording session. But just a few weeks ago, we had an absolutely fascinating pre-discussion And luckily, we had hit the record button. In the interest of respecting your time and our editing time, that discussion was clipped out and put aside because we thought we'd like to come back to it towards the end of this season. And this week is the opportunity for returning to it. So in this episode, which is slightly shorter, we're going to actually be stepping back in Genesis a little bit pulled back by the overpowering character of Abraham and his wife Sarah in this story of Genesis. For this conversation, all four of us were present. Myself, Lachlan, and Cameron, and Ken, and Luke from the Ukraine. But we've already used the introduction in which we introduced ourselves um, in the episode when it went out. So here it is. This is a, a fascinating discussion. You will note that we anticipate returning to this, um, even as we were speaking. And that is indeed our plan, because a couple of the ideas here have been buzzing around inside our heads ever since we had this conversation. So enjoy this one, and we'll be back to our regular, normal programming from next week. By way of an introduction, I'm going to sort of reopen a can of worms we've already opened several times. But this came out of a discussion that I had in uh, Launceston Seventh Adventist Church when I was taking a lesson. Uh, We've talked about Abraham and Lot and in passing Hagar and Ishmael because we've talked about them on other episodes. Uh, But something was really sort of struck home in the last week to me about the chronology when does God first tell Abraham that he'll have a child of promise? Well, that's right at the start. When does he first tell Abraham that Sarah will be the mother of that child? Now, under the conventional narrative, Abraham did an awful thing, a really a, a lack of faith, a lack of trust, um, a failure to obey God's promise and to believe in it uh, when he slept with Hagar and had a child for Sarah through Hagar. Um, and obviously if it is a very serious moral uh, sort of shortcoming, the onus is in some sense on God to explain this to Abraham. Um, But he doesn't. The first time that God, at least that I could find, maybe our listeners will be able to correct us, but the first time I could find that God said, no, the mother of the child of promise will be Sarah, is in Genesis 17, which is after uh, Hagar is pregnant with Ishmael. That actually does slightly make sense of one slightly weird detail in the story because the the whole idea of the Hagar surrogacy is at least in part instigated by Sarah herself and yet a little further down the story once Sarah has given birth to Isaac Sarah's treatment of Hagar is really awful and you sort of think to yourself what a real flip but if if what you're suggesting is is the case Sarah's entire picture of the world has been upended between those those different interactions with Hagar. Yeah. So why didn't God say That's, to Abraham more explicitly what was what was in his mind? I wonder whether 
we expect to know the detail of God's plan with particularity <laughs> that he doesn't need us to have. I think of this in a way, and we've spoken about this before, how Abraham, it would seem, had accepted God's promise, but he saw it being fulfilled in many different ways. We've spoken about perhaps he thought Lot was the way that it would be fulfilled. Uh, and then he thought perhaps Ishmael would be the way that it would be fulfilled. And then he thought perhaps, well, and then he became aware that it was Isaac uh, through whom it would be fulfilled. And then when Isaac was taken away, Hebrews tells us that uh, he thought that um, God would raise him from the dead, uh, that he would be resurrected. Um, none of those things were the way that God sought to fulfill his promise. Of course, the promise was one that was to be fulfilled uh, and indeed has been uh, fulfilled. Um, I wonder how that applies in lots of other mm -hmm. situations, uh, particularly uh, in situations uh, or, or in, in the context of uh, eschatology, uh, our view of end-time events. Um, we seem to think that we have a very clear picture of how all of this will pan out. Um, uh, and certainly we are right to say that the overarching theme of Scripture uh, is that Christ will return uh, and that uh, he will, uh, his will will be done and the world will be uh, what he has sought for it to be. But more than that, it seems to me we are counselled against mm -hmm. seeking to understand in well, detail. The, the narrative um, I've been given in this instance is that Abraham knew and he got impatient and so slept with Hagar and had a child. That's not the yes, way the that's the, told. Yes, that's the typical narrative that I've heard also. <clears throat> it's not the way the story is told. It's more complicated. I mean, and, and, and so getting... To your point, Ken, it's, it seems that God, it was God's intention for Abraham not to know. The alternative mm. is, the mm. alternative is that it slipped God's mind. Um, whereas, no, no, that's not, that's yeah. not the other, the, the, <laughs> other the other alternative. The, the other alternative is this. One of the things that we, and, and I need to go back a little bit. One of the things that is a real mystery for us as Christians. Uh, at least for many of us, um, is how do we hear God? How do we know mm. God's will for our life? Um, uh, what 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 are we expected? To, we we told that God has this plan um, that's going to be worked out in our life, and we often interpret that as being something in which there's a great attention to detail. Uh, and it, there are a couple of things that I'm going to say about this. One is I recently read a delightful story about a gospel uh, singer who would sign autographs after the um, after his concerts and people had come up and talked to him and they'd express their concern about knowing the will of God and his response would often be um, well look God's will for your life is pretty clear I don't think you have to worry about it you have to love him with all your heart uh, and you have to um, uh, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself so we should just get about doing those things 
And it might be that God has something very special for you to do. Um, and I'm sure that if he has something special for you to do, he, he will probably make that quite clear. Um, and he'd pause for a moment and then he'd say, well, I mean, for example, say he wants you to go to Egypt. Well, he can probably arrange 11 jealous brothers and have you yeah. sold into slavery. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and that, that, uh, so so that, that's, that's one thing. That, the, the other, the other um, aspect of it is this. Um, God's kingdom in this world is uh, something that we are told is here. And the way that a kingdom operates, if you think about the way a government operates... It operates through words. Uh, so there are statutes, there's legislation uh, that um, expresses the uh, reign of that government. Uh, and there are courts uh, where the words of the judges actually implement uh, that reign in particular cases and instigate um, action. Uh, if you think about God's reign in the world in that way and his uh, expression of his will um, as being words, symbols representing uh, ideas, uh, the way things should be and that instigate action, uh, then it is to us to come to understand those words. How might we come to understand those words? How might we come to understand the language, if you like, the language of God? Um, it would not be surprising if we learnt that language in the same way that we learn other languages. Uh, that is, it's not, at least initially, something that happens by uh, a conscious effort, although, of course, there are times when conscious effort can improve our understanding of language, we can learn new words and associate new meanings with them. But as a child learns the language, it's simply done by observation, uh, and participation and pattern recognition. Uh, and I wonder whether there's not a similar thing and, our, and uh, that happens when we learn to understand the language of God and how God operates and whether we can see that a little bit mm. in Abraham's life. Um, uh, so I can see that this is, this is the word that God has spoken, um, but what does that mean and how does it work out? And we've got to, we've got to watch and observe and we try something and it doesn't work. Um, uh, or turns out that that's not the way that it's meant to be. That doesn't mean we were wrong to try it. Um, uh, that just means that we're still learning the language of God. And over time, we become better, uh, it is to be hoped, uh, at, at living and expressing and understanding uh, and speaking uh, that language. It's why God, Jesus said, I think, you know, you see, but you have eyes that you don't see and you have ears that you don't hear because we're not, in tune with the language of God. And that was true for Abraham. That uh, was true for uh, Isaac. It was true for Jacob. Uh, and dare I say, it's true mm. for us. Uh, and, I, and I think we need to be looking for those ways where God is acting and working and speaking in the world and learning to understand his language in the same <laughs> way that There's a couple Abraham. of directions you can go from that, uh, Ken. One is to bring up a statement that you, you've said previously, I think three or four weeks ago. Uh, what if God's plan for us is for a particular type of relationship rather than a particular type of outcome necessarily? Um, a process. My plan is to follow this process. It's going to be one where Abraham learns. Um, and it would be better, mm. it would be better for him to make mistakes 
or things that he'll recognize retrospectively as mistakes. Um, and for there to be some, you know, difficult consequences of things that actually happened. But it would it would be better for it to happen that way than for him to be just a robot or following a checklist or, uh, you know. So um, uh, then flip it to our point of view, uh, then there must be things where God has said, no, it's better for, it's better for the Adventist church at the moment to have to struggle with that and to try and work it out mm. as a community and to get it wrong maybe. It's, maybe it's better for them to get it wrong. Um, and th- surely this ought not be like a difficult thing for Adventists to understand because we have a, a doctrine of present truth. But our, our use of that doctrine usually follows the lines of God will show us something extra, but he, nothing that he's shown us in the past would ever be wrong. Hmm. Or, or, or our impression of God's will in the past, you know, we won't ever have made a mistake as a church. Uh, and Yeah, which that- if, you think, if you think about it, that concept... Uh, in the context of human nature for more than about five seconds, you realize that's ridiculous. I, yeah. I, I like the, I accept the doctrine of present truth only if it allows for the recognition of past mistakes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's, it's pointless. It's a pointless conceit. It's arrogance. And nothing which is arrogance can possibly be truly Christian because the core of Christianity rejects pride and arrogance. Mm-hmm. It is a fundamental Christian construct. You cannot be both proud and Christian. Here's, here's one other spanner to throw in the works. Uh, God doesn't say that Ishmael is not the the child of promise until um, until after he's born. And Abraham says in chapter 17, oh, can't Ishmael stand before you? What if God was just waiting to see what sort of person Ishmael would be? What if God was just sort of waiting on the sidelines to see which of the sperm combined with with the over to create that oh well, it's that sort of person oh that's not going to work so well um, yeah. <laughs> well we, we've talked about this before we've... well it's not it's not quite it, it I don't think that quite fits the narrative because it does Abraham says to God what would that Ishmael might live in your favor and God said yet Sarah your wife is to bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. But then does go on to say, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will bless him and make him fruitful and will multiply him. It's, it's um, fascinating. Uh, but my covenant I will establish. <laughs> but, but I, I think Cam's us... point was... You, you go, Cam. Oh, no, you go, Luke. As I, said, I think your point is that God only says that to Abram after Ishmael's born, um, which isn't to say that it wasn't true before Ishmael was born, but Abram didn't know that. Um, and I think we talked about this before fundamental misunderstanding of what constitutes a good plan is the idea that the good plan is fixed. It doesn't, it's not adaptable in any way. The details of it can't be changed. As far as my understanding of planning goes, a good plan is one that is extremely adaptable. Um, and a very, very good plan, a genius plan a superhuman plan would therefore, by extension, be one that is more adaptable than your average plan. Um, and, and so when I think of God's plan, I try to think in those terms. This is not something which is rigid and unchanging. This is something which takes into account human free will. Um, and, 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 again, all good plans that humans make also take into account free will. 
if if you are planning something which requires other people to participate, especially if you're requiring their voluntary participation, you better well make sure you understand what their will is, or your plan will not work. Yeah, which is a good summary. Uh, and of God's most plan of my will classes. will work. This is well, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, God's plan will work. Therefore, God's plan must take into account humans' free will and must do so in a way that is far superior to even the best human planner. Yeah. Uh, all of which is to say, I, I, don't, I don't have a view one way or another on whether or not God changed his mind after the birth of Ishmael, but I would definitely assert the possibility of that because we know that God must be adaptable or he is not the great planner. Yeah. Well, or humans don't or have humans free don't will. Well, but we believe humans do have free will, so that has to be a given. Uh, I don't, ev- I don't yeah. even consider the possibility that humans don't have free will. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no point being a Christian, as far as I can see. <clears throat> but I'm, op- yeah. I'm open to being persuaded otherwise. But the pr- well, the uh, problem is if the I'm problem is, and this is we're not going to go down this rabbit hole. But if you were convinced um, that we had no free will, you might be correct. But you do not believe it because you're correct. You believe it because you have no will in the matter. <laughs> so, uh, which is, we're not going to go. Th- what I did want to say is one last comment on this story, which sheds light on the one we're going to read now, um, which is the morality of the question. It was it was brought up in the Sabbath school discussion that Abraham ought to have known, even though God didn't tell him. Abraham ought to have known that the child of promise wouldn't come through Hagar because he was he'd committed himself to Sarah in mal- in marriage. And um, in light of the story of Jacob, that's a hard hard objection to sustain because Jacob is polygamous to start with, and then something like a third of the tribes of his legitimate children, who who are heirs of the promise, become tribes of. Israel are not even from Rachel or Leah. They're from their maidservants because this was a mm. common cultural practice um, where children is a status symbol and you can have lots of kids, then have lots of kids. And it's it's not just a status symbol for Jacob. It's a status symbol for the two wives trying to outcompete each other to have the most kids. And the kids that their maidservants bear belong not to the maidservants but to them. They're, mm. they're their kids. So th- there's some cultural... Moral sort of the, the morality of the cultural practice is perceived very differently at, at the time of writing than at the time of reading. I want to add to your point because I think we would consider those marriage practices which you just described to be immoral, you know, deeply immoral. Especially those of us who want to defend a biblical model of marriage, Luke. Well, let's not open that can of worms. Um, but I, I just want to say we would consider those to be immoral practices. Um, but whether or not it's moral doesn't seem to be relevant to its role in God's plan. Hmm. Okay, so I mean we're we're currently looking at uh, I'm going to embarrass. I mean we're not quite to the story of Joseph. Joseph was not the son of Jacob's first wife. You know there are some cultures today within our society who would view the 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 concept of even having a second wife, uh, much less having a second wife at the same time, to be morally wrong, right? It doesn't stop Joseph going on to do what he does and be who he was and be part of God's plan. And his brothers do something which is very obviously morally wrong and it's identified very clearly at the end of the story as being part of God's plan. (laughs) Exactly right. 
and so the idea then that that Ishmael couldn't be the chosen child because his mode of conception was morally wrong doesn't is not consistent with the rest of Genesis really. Hmm. Um, because people do morally wrong stuff all the time and they're still part of God's plan. Right. And interestingly enough, the New Testament specifically refers to that uh, because it says God works everything together Mm. for good. Uh, And that's his plan at the end of the day. Uh, So he weaves even the bad into good. Yeah. It's... Sounds like a sound well, plan to me. Perspective, isn't it? Because we often talk about the devil out there to subvert, you know, potentially innocent activities done with the wrong motive or done in the wrong, wrong way or the wrong place can can be used by demonic powers to do awful things, which is true. But uh, it's nice to think of the reverse, isn't it? Even the worst, the person acting out of the most selfish intent, might might be used by God to achieve some great well, purpose. And- Cam, you're, you're touching on something right now, uh, very lightly, but even so, maybe we could explore it in more detail later. I would appreciate that. Because that very concept, what you're just talking about, is the number one source of hope I find in the world today. Hmm. Firstly, through the observation that a lot of evil things which occur don't occur because people are evil geniuses, but because they're banal idiots, hmm. by and hmm. large. And a lot of bad things that happen happen because of what you could say bad luck. Therefore, on the flip side, it's entirely possible that very, very good outcomes can occur also through Hmm. the actions of people who did not intend those outcomes. Yeah. People can accidentally do something good just as much as they can accidentally do something bad. Um, And and the process, you know. Yeah. And obviously we are called to to grow in our understanding of what is good and bad so that we do less accidental and more deliberate things. But but the experience of Abraham seems to suggest it's a fairly gradual growth process. And there it is. At that point in this conversation, we knuckled down under our own um, struggling self-discipline and we managed to get on with recording the episode that we had, that we needed in the sequence. So thanks for listening to this one. Please join us again next week when we will return to discussing some of the characters that come up towards the end of the book of Genesis and shift our focus a little bit towards the very iconic character of Joseph. If you have any comments, questions or suggestions, feel free to send them through to us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and share this podcast with anyone who you think might benefit from it. Friends, family, even enemies. Thank you for listening and join us again next week.